And let me just kind of explain as we, as we begin what the, how the next few weeks um, are going to look. We're going to spend four evenings uh, really going deeper in prayer together. That's, that's our hope. And each evening will be the same, but each evening will also be very different. Um, and so we'll spend about 45 minutes at the start of each evening from 8 till about 8.45 um, with a bit from the front and some time in groups looking at different topics. Uh, and then we'll have half an hour at the end of each evening to pray. Uh, and tonight we're drawing on the riches of contem contemplative prayer. And so that's what we'll look at in our groups. And then we'll have a time of silent prayer and we'll come to Holy Communion and uh, ashing for Ash Wednesday in the beginning of Lent. Uh, and next week we've got Wes Sutton coming from Acorn to look, take us deeper into healing prayer. Uh, and the week after we'll be looking at adoration and we'll have a full band and we'll spend lots of time in music and worship as we pray. Uh, and then in the final week we'll pray in good old evangelical fashion, leaning in in circles and interceding together. But we're going to draw on all, all of the riches of the different uh, streams of the church. Uh, and I would say, lots of, I know lots of small groups have paused um, to come to this. We have a great opportunity to practice hospitality over the next few weeks because we're going to kick off at 8 o'clock um, each week. We've got to have some dinner before we come, most of us. We don't have time for a whole fancy dinner and a dinner party because we're coming here at 8 o'clock. But what a great time to invite someone else over for dinner. You don't have to do that. Um, but why not invite someone else from the church family over to have a simple meal with you at seven o'clock and spend some time in fellowship together before we come uh, and do this because we've got, got an opportunity where we're all on the same rhythm. Uh, and so do t make the most of that if you'd like to. But let me pray uh, and then let's turn to tonight. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of Lent. Uh, as we still ourselves as we go deeper in prayer, as we prepare ourselves to remember your cross and your resurrection, that first Easter, in just a few weeks' time. And Lord, we ask that this Lent you would take us deeper in prayer. Lord, we want to know you better. We want to fall more in love with you this Lent. We want to become more like you this Lent. And so we pray that in our time together this evening, over the next few weeks, in our own walk with you day by day, that you would draw us deeper and that we would come to know Jesus better, taking advantage of all that you have done for us, dying in our place and rising again to conquer sin and the grave. And we pray it all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. So today is Ash Wednesday, it's the first day of Lent, um, and the tradition across much of the Christian church around the world and through time has been to gather together on Ash Wednesday and to receive a sign of the cross in ash on our foreheads. Uh, and it's a great time to think about contemplative prayer, liturgical prayer, quiet prayer. Uh, and let, I want to start just by reading um, some of the words from the Anglican liturgy for Ash Wednesday which is an, an invitation to what we're doing tonight. So here's how the Liturgy of the Church of England begins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, since early days, Christians have observed with great devotion the time of our Lord's passion and resurrection and prepared for this by a season of penitence and fasting. By carefully keeping these days, Christians take to heart the call to repentance 
and assurance of forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel, and so grow in faith and in devotion to our Lord. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church, to the observance of a holy Lent, by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, by reading and meditating on God's holy word. And so that's the invitation for Lent. It's a time for prayer as we prepare ourselves to walk the, the road of that first Easter when we come to Holy Week. Lent's a time for reflection. Uh, it's a time for confession and repentance. Uh, most of all, it's a time to pursue holiness, and it's an interruption into the busy and frenetic pace of so much of our lives. To pause, to be still, to go deeper. Uh, and the ash that we'll receive at the end of our evening together is designed as a sign of repentance. Uh, and that's in two ways. It's a, it's a reminder of our mortality, uh, of our limits, that we're not invincible, that, that life does end, that we are just human beings. Uh, and it's also a sign of our commitment to seek God together as a church over the next few weeks. You'll remember in Jonah chapter 3 that when Jonah finally gets to Nineveh after trying to run away and ending up in a whale and then arguing with God, he gets there and he preaches God's judgment. And the people of Nineveh put on sackcloth, cover themselves with ashes as a sign of repentance before God and ask him to forgive them, and he does. And Jonah is furious at the great mercy of God and his undeserved love to us who don't deserve it. Uh, and so it's in that same kind of spirit that we receive a sign of ash at the end of our evening together as a sign of our repentance that we are a sinful people coming before a God who loves us even though we don't deserve it. Uh, and remembering that that is the spirit in which we approach him. Uh, and as over the next few weeks we prepare to come to Easter, what we begin to do tonight is just to come to the foot of the cross. Uh, and as we come to the cross, as we look again on that symbol of our faith, the place where Jesus died in my place and yours, we remember what it is that it cost our Saviour to win our forgiveness. Sunday is often a day of celebration, the, the victory that Jesus has won for us. Lent's the time where we remember what it cost him. Uh, and so I want to invite you this Lent and this evening to, to come to the foot of the cross and to lay down there our burdens uh, and to come to the God who is a consuming fire, the God, our God who is so holy, uh, and there's been a wonderful rediscovery in the last few years in the church of the intimacy that is possible with the Jesus who is our friend and our brother. Uh, but sometimes we so celebrate that that we forget that he's also our Lord and our King and that he dwells in unapproachable light. Uh, sometimes we lose that sense of the holiness of God. Uh, and I want to begin by taking us to Isaiah chapter 6. So please do turn, uh, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, and we see here this wonderful encounter with the holiness of God. And I'll read from verse 1. When you're trying to find Isaiah, go to Psalms and then go forwards. And, 
And if you're in Job, you're too early, so keep going on to Psalms. And then uh, it's nice to have some big books of the Bible. Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you're too late. They help us to get into the middle. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Uh, And in Isaiah chapter 6, we see three movements, and they were best explained to me when I was a teenager as, Oh, a woe, and a go. Uh, and the first thing we see is an O, oh, because Isaiah's in prayer. He's stopped, he's paused, he, is, he might be asleep and dreaming, uh, he might have been going about his day, he might have been seeking the Lord. And he, we read in verse 1 and 2, then I saw the Lord Almighty. Uh, and all prayer begins here. Uh, prayer begins, and it's why we begin with contemplative prayer tonight, with stopping with an interruption to the busyness of our everyday life as we get on and we're doing and we don't have a moment to think of the Lord. Uh, It might be as simple as just stepping back and taking a deep breath. It might be going and locking ourselves in a quiet place and falling on our knees. But prayer begins with a pausing, a taking breath, uh, and a stilling of ourselves. It's why we often close our eyes when we pray, so that we can take our eyes off our situation in the world and see the Lord. Uh, And when we see him, that there's a moment that where we go, oh, oh, the holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, I don't know if you relate to that first moment of prayer when you just remember to take your eyes off everything that's going and you suddenly see perspective that you'd completely missed because you'd been running around in the busyness. Um, And then as we still ourselves and we see the Lord more clearly, we see his holiness. Uh, And so prayer begins with a stopping and a stilling and a seeing more clearly the Jesus who is king of all kings. Uh, And as we see God more clearly, we then come to see ourselves more clearly. And that's the second movement from, oh, the Lord Almighty. Then Isaiah says, woe, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And if that was true of him, how much more true of us today. We live among a world of unclean lips and hearts and minds. Uh, And so often we are more like the world than we're like the Lord, and we don't even realise it. 
And when we see the Lord clearly, when we see his holiness, one of the first things we see about ourselves is how, how holy we are not, how, how far short of his holiness we fall, how not like him we are. Uh, and there's a moment of repentance. I, I says, woe is me, what am I going to do? I'm in the presence of this unapproachable light. The Lord is so holy, he's so good, he's so pure, and I am not. Woe is me. Uh, I don't know if this was your journey. For some people, it's their journey to coming to faith when you're not walking with the Lord and you have a revelation of who God is. Romans 1 talks about his power, his, what he's, the wonders he's done in creation. Romans 2 talks about our conscience that convicts us. When we, go, when we suddenly realize that we're not right with God, that we've been walking selfishly and we've been going our own way, and, and a holy fear descends on us because we know that God is God and we're not and that we're not right with him. And of course, wonderfully, that's not where we live as Christians, is it? Because as soon as Isaiah hits that moment of repentance and says, woe is me, an angel plucks a burning coal from the altar and comes and touches it to his lips, uh, a symbol of purification. He's made pure not by anything that he does. He's made pure by the act of the servant of the Lord in the Lord's holy place. Uh, it's a symbol of what the Lord would do for us on the cross, that the Lord Jesus has made us holy. Uh, in, as we come in confession and repentance this evening and this Lent, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no beating ourselves up, because the Lord Jesus has paid for it all. And, and at the very second that we become conscious of any sin, we come to the cross and we know it to be wiped away clean. And there is a, there is a joy in the approach to the Lord where we're so certain of his forgiveness. Uh, and so often Christians in churches across time and space have been more marked by guilt and shame because they've grasped their sin, but they haven't grasped how great is our forgiveness. The love of the God, uh, the love of the God who never lets us go, who runs towards us and pays for our sin. Uh, and it's that purification, that recognition of sinfulness, repentance, purification, that then leads Isaiah, standing consecrated before God, to be ready to go. The Lord says, who will I send? And Isaiah is able to say, here I am, send me. Uh, and you see the difference from the man who was saying, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy to stand here. What's going to happen to me in this holy place? To then volunteer himself in the throne room of God to go and speak for the Lord. Uh, and what's changed? He's been purified. He's been made right by God. He's seen God more clearly. And as a result of seeing God more clearly, he's seen himself more clearly. And as a result of receiving God's mercy and grace, he's commissioned and he's sent. Uh, and that's the movement that happens to all of us as we come in prayer. But it begins with contemplation. It begins by stopping and pausing and seeing God more clearly. Um, and I want to just speak for a moment about meditation. Meditation's quite big in the world at the moment. Uh, mindfulness is a very big thing, pausing meditation, yoga, you name it, it's a very big thing. But Christian meditation is the opposite of the world's meditation because what the world tries to do when it meditates, the whole idea of mindfulness is to empty your mind. Um, it's, it's stillness, it's nothingness. And Christian meditation is fixing our mind on one thing. It's seeing Jesus, it's seeing God more clearly. As a, in Psalm 1, it talks about how blessed the one is who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his word. And so Psalm 1 tells us that Christian meditation is meditation on the word of God in which we see the Son of God. Uh, but that word meditate in the Hebrew is, is a really lovely word because in Isaiah chapter 31, the same word is used, meditate. In Psalm 1, it's meditating on the law of the Lord, God's word. 
In Isaiah 31, it's a lion gnawing on a bone, a lion meditating on a bone. I don't know if you've seen a dog with a bone. That's what Christian meditation is like, according to the, to the Hebrew. We're to chew on it. We're to take it in. We're to enjoy it and immerse ourselves in it. Christian meditation is to take the word of God and to gnaw on it and sit with it and stare at it and feast on it. The way a dog sits with a bone and chews it and chews it and chews it. That's Christian meditation. Because what we're wanting to do is to see God more clearly. And as we see God more clearly, we see ourselves more clearly. And we in the world are changed. And one of the things that Christians have done throughout the ages to do this is the practice of Lectio Divina, uh, holy reading, uh, taking the scriptures and not just skimming it and saying we're done now, but reading it again and again and again and again and to let um, the script, to dwell on the scriptures, to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, as Colossians tells us to do. And in Lectio Divina, you first read a passage and then you read it again and you observe what it's saying and then you read it again and you analyse it and then you read it again and you enter into it in the imagination and you take the time and the space to gnaw on the scriptures and to meditate on them so that they fill our mind so that we, like Isaiah, might see the Lord more clearly. Uh, and as we prepare to go into groups, I'd love us to look at Psalm 139 for a few minutes. Would you turn to Psalm 139? Um, and I'll just make a couple of points and then I'll send us into groups to read it and to chat about it. And actually, let's take a couple of minutes of quiet and why don't we all just, just, just skim it through once ourselves and then we'll have a chance to, um, to talk about it together. And I'm just going to read the first two verses and the last two verses. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. And Psalm 139 as a whole, we know it is a psalm about how God knows us. He, he knows us inside and out. And then look at the prayer that David prays in verse 23 and 24 at the end of the psalm because of how God knows us inside and out. David prays, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, and so for me, I think Psalm 139 is the contemplative prayer psalm because we see here that David made time for, for examination of himself before the Lord. 
that David was, was integrated enough to kind of surrender his self to the Lord and to face himself and to come before God and say, God, you know me inside and out. You know me warts and all. You've known me from the beginning. So God, search me and know my heart. Test me and, and find out my anxious thoughts. See what the offensive way in me is, Lord, and lead me in your way everlasting. Uh, and that's exactly what we want to do tonight. So my question for you in groups is just, would you share one verse from the psalm that strikes you? Uh, and would you say, how do you feel about praying verses 23 and 24 this Lent? Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. So in groups, share a verse that struck you and then reflect on how do you feel about praying verses 23 and 24 this Lent. Over to you. So here's my definition of contemplative prayer. What is contemplative prayer? We're thinking tonight about going deeper in contemplation. Um, contemplative prayer is three things. It's, it's being still in order to see God more clearly and so to see ourselves more clearly. That's what I think contemplative prayer is all about. It's being still in order to see God more clearly, and as a result, to see ourselves more clearly. Uh, and Calvin said, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And just reflect on that for a minute. They, you could say it both ways round, and they impact on each other, but Calvin said, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And so contemplative prayer is, it's, frankly, it's the antidote to the over-busy life of the over-busy world that we live in. And it's about slowing down, uh, in part, in order to face ourselves. There's such an undercurrent of stuff going on in us all the time. Uh, and until we face it and deal with it and deal with our stuff, perhaps for the first time, we're so often driven by so many things, we have no idea are there. Um, but even after we've first done whatever it is in our lives, we do it, whether as a teenager or as an older adult. When we first face our stuff and deal with it, it's still there, and we always have more to deal with, like layers of an onion. Uh, and so con the contemplative prayer is about becoming still, so that we can see God more clearly and so see ourselves more clearly, slowing down, in part so that we can face ourselves. Um, and so the beginning of, uh, frankly, I think the beginning of any time of prayer the, the first, what do we do when we say it's time to pray? I think the first thing that we do is we pause. If, if, if only for 10 seconds, maybe much more than that, but if only for 10 seconds, we pause uh, and we draw breath. Uh, and as we do that, as we pause, we, we bring to God first just what's there, what's on the inside. And Richard Foster calls this simple prayer. Uh, and simple prayer is real prayer. Because unless we're being real with God, we can't actually engage with him. Uh, my quiet time, sadly, often begins with the, first, with the same words every morning because I tend to get up with the kids first and survive toddler breakfast time. Um, and then when I can't take any more, then take them to Sarah and say, they're your children now. Um, <laughs> and then I have a shower and I have my breakfast. Um, and then I make a cup of tea and I go into my study and I close the door on whatever the toddlers are doing outside the study and I sit down in my quiet time chair with my cup of tea and my Bible, and I say, 
oh Lord, I'm tired this morning. <laughs> it's because I have my quiet time before I have my first cup of coffee. Um, so my, I, I, that's, that's the same most mornings. When I start my quiet time, that's what I'm feeling. When I look inside, here I am. I've just, I've just looked after my children for an hour. I haven't had a coffee yet. I'm feeling tired. Uh, and that's the beginning of my prayer time because that's what's going on inside me. Uh, and sometimes if I'm praying at a different point of the day, the prayer time ends with, God, I'm feeling really angry right now. Um, oh, Lord, I'm really excited. That's, that's where prayer begins, with pausing and being still and bringing to the Lord wherever we're at what is on the inside so that it can encounter him and that we can be changed. He takes us as we are and he doesn't leave us as we are. Uh, and so often I think we try, and one of the greatest mistakes people make in prayer uh, especially when they're quite young Christians, is, is trying to fake it with God. It never works, faking it with God. He, he's, he's made us, he knows us inside out. He knows what's going on inside. Um, I was talking to some Christians just a, a few couple of weeks ago who feel like they're far from God and they feel like they've been far from God for a long time and they feel like God's let them down. And after talking to them for a few minutes, I, I knew exactly why they were feeling far from God because there was a, there was some feelings they had that they, about God that they hadn't acknowledged and had repressed. And while they wouldn't engage with those and wouldn't let God see them, they were feeling like God was a million miles away and wasn't answering any of their prayers and that they'd come to church and nothing would happen. And I, and I said, well, of course that's the case. Of course you feel far from God. There's something there and you haven't let him into it. So you're keeping him shut out. Uh, and so prayer begins by pausing and being still and bringing our real selves to God, whatever it is. Job in the book of Job in the Bible is there to give us permission to bring to God whatever feeling you can bring anything to him, but if we don't bring the real, our real selves to him, he can't go further with us. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And so when there's something buried deep inside us, whether it's an emotion or a fear or another priority or something unsurrendered, when, and we don't let God into it, we're actually cutting off our prayer life before we even begin. And so prayer begins by being still and bringing ourselves to God. Um, and part of contemplative prayer, then, is this time of self-examination that our psalm starts to hint towards. God, you know me inside and out, so search me now. Uh, a verse in the scriptures that we often ignore is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, says, it's talking about communion. It says, a person ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And in the church in the past, this used to be quite a big thing. And often in the church day, we just don't do it. We're going to come to the Lord's table later this evening. And before we do, we'll have a chance to examine ourselves and to say to the Lord, search me. Is there anything I need to repent of? Is there someone that I'm not right with who I need to go and become right with? Uh, and to allow the Lord just to bring his convicting spirit so that he can make us right with him as we come to his table. Uh, it can be helpful. Some, some people find journaling a really helpful way of doing this. Some people can just do it sitting quietly, eyes closed. Some people need a prompt, whether it's art, whether it's writing. Journaling's a really helpful prompt in doing this. Uh, and I, I found just four prompts helpful, four questions helpful. It's, it's very simple. It's not rocket science. As we, as we engage on this journey, just to say, what's making me mad? What's making me sad? What's making me anxious? What's making me glad? And they rhyme so it's easy to remember except anxious. What's making me mad? What, what am I cross and frustrated about? What's making me sad? What's getting me down? What's making me anxious? What's weighing on me? What's making me glad? Where am I rejoicing? And just to ask those questions with the Lord and allow, have the conversation with him, allow him to show us what's going on inside 
And like Isaiah, when we bring those things to him, we, we are changed because we see God more clearly and he changes us. Uh, and so we'll just take three or four minutes. You might want to do this in a whole group. You might want to split into just threes or fours. Depends on how big your group is. But two questions or two parts of the same question. Pausing and taking time out to be still before God. How are you doing? What, makes, what helps you to do it? Pausing and being still with God to see him more clearly and see ourselves more clearly. How are you doing at doing that? Is that part of your life? What makes it easier? And if we have five minutes in groups to share how we're doing, where we're up to with that and what helps us. And feel free to do that in just twos or threes. Feel free to do it as a whole group, uh, whatever works with who you're sitting with. So contemplative prayer is three things. It's being still, to see God more clearly, uh, and so to see ourselves more clearly. Uh, And where do we start? How do we begin? Well, extroverts, you won't like this. We start with silence. Um, Some of you who are are really extroverted, silence won't be a big big thing of your prayer life, and that's fine, and that's okay. Uh, The Lord doesn't command us to spend hours of the day in silence in order to pray. Um, But prayer does begin there. Uh, It might be just taking a breath for 30 seconds most often, but it begins by pausing and starting in silence. Uh, It begins by by decelerating out of the busyness of everyday life and fixing our eyes on him. Uh, And prayer, fundamentally, it's not an activity, it's not a checklist, it's not an achievement. Prayer is just the oxygen of the relationship between us and our saviour. Uh, And one way of thinking about silence is that, think about being in silence with other people, sitting silently in a room with others. Silence gets easier the better you know someone. What does that say about our relationship with God? It's easier to sit in silence the better you know someone. And Mother Teresa was once asked what she prays in her prayer life. Do you know what she replied when she was asked what she prays? She says, I don't talk, I just listen. Uh, And silent prayer is about being. No doing, no activity, nothing to achieve. We lay all that down. Uh, And and its object is just communion with God. It's just being with him in his presence. It's just sitting with him. Maybe no words exchanged up or down. Maybe just sitting and being. Uh, It's not mindless meditating. We're meditating on Jesus. We, We enter into it through the word of God. But we're not doing We're just being with him. Uh, And one exercise for contemplative prayer, one of the most famous exercises from Ignatius of Loyola, it's called the examine. Uh, And it's just a set of questions to ask yourself as we sit in silence with the Lord. Uh, And at its most basic, the the examine is just to to ask ourselves, it's quite like those questions, what makes us mad, sad, anxious, glad. Uh, We ask ourselves, in the last day or so, what are we grateful for? What's been good? Uh, We ask ourselves, looking back at the last day or so, what's been bad? Where have we fallen short? We pay attention to the emotions that we've been experiencing. Uh, And we just invite the Lord to walk us through our last 24 hours and kind of replay them in your mind, watching them with God next to you, conscious of him, and say, Lord, show me. Show me what I'm worshipping and grateful for. Show me where I've fallen short. Show me what you have to say or to show me about the last day. 
Uh, and so almost we begin praying by stopping praying. We're not doing anything. We're just being with God and paying attention. Um, and so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to take about 15 minutes. Uh, and I'm going to begin by reading uh, those, that passage from Isaiah chapter 6 again. You're welcome to have it open in front of you. Please don't spend the whole 15 minutes staring at and analysing and studying the passage because sometimes that can be a crutch for us. But equally, feel free to have it open uh, and to, to use it as a stimulus for prayer. Feel free not to. Um, so I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 6 again. And feel free in the quiet to look at it again yourself as we meditate on the scriptures. But we're just going to take 15 minutes to be with Jesus, to look to him. Uh, and I encourage you to, just to invite him in. You might want to pray the words of Psalm 139. Search me, Lord, and know my heart. Test me and see my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You might just want him to show you how you are. But I'm going to read this and I'll ask the Lord to meet us and we'll spend 15 minutes in quiet and then we'll come to the Lord's table together uh, I'll say the words and they'll be up on the screens and we'll come and receive communion and then after communion there'll be an opportunity to receive ash on your forehead uh, and I'll say the final blessing and then we'll go in silence tonight so um, when we finish I'll say a blessing we won't say anything else feel free to stay in the space as long as you want to feel free to head to the back and chat to each other in the cafe and in the old church and outside uh, and we'll go as we begin Lent in quiet before the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Come, Spirit of the living God, we pray, and lead us to Jesus. Amen.